In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing my personal dentist, Dr. Travis Nixon. He is a graduate of UNC School of Dentistry, is a general dentist, and is the owner of Christmastown Dentistry in McAdamville, North Carolina. You are listening to The Smart Dental Student, your source for information regarding dental school and your professional journey, with your hosts, Matt Manley and Landon Guy. So I'm here with my personal dentist, Dr. Travis Nixon, here at McAdamville, North Carolina at Christmastown Dentistry. Thank you so much, Dr. Nixon, for joining me today. Well, you're welcome. Happy to be here. So first, what got you into dentistry? Like, what drew you to the profession? Um, Probably going back to when I was in the fourth grade. I remember just like many uh, people in school, they write a paper about what they might want to be when they grow up. And I had always had fantastic experiences at my dentist, uh, dentist office and, and, and Charlotte. Uh, and, uh, it was an individual that, uh, we went to church together and he actually lived in our neighborhood and his name is Dr. Martin, Martin Murphy. He is a, a graduate of UNC school of dentistry and, uh, he profoundly affected, uh, me, um, in that, he was always so kind, so gentle. And one of the other things he taught me was the, the way to explain what he's doing and, and in regard to comforting the patient. So I just had a really good experience. And I also thought it was, I, I, in a way, I didn't really think he did much. I didn't think he worked because he always played easy listening music, like a lot of dental offices do. And I didn't really have any dental issues. So I thought, oh, this guy just comes in and checks your teeth out and then he leaves. So I thought this is this is the profession for me and I don't have to work on Fridays. (laughs) So I found out that 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 that, yes, it's not the cardinal sin to work on Fridays as a dentist. uh, But but dentistry does afford us the ability uh, in many ways to offer wonderful care to our patients um, to have a fulfilling career and to be able to provide for our families. But that's certainly not my primary goal with being in dentistry. I truly love what I do each and every day. And, uh, coming up in just a few short months will be my 20th year in dentistry. Wow. And that, that, that's awesome. And I know you've told me your story, obviously, and you've shared your story with me. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned from it was kind of how you responded to adversity yourself, not getting in your first time, having to retake the DAT. What lessons did you learn during that time period that helped prepare you for first dental school and then also your career afterwards? Um, Perseverance, diligence, hard work. But also it tested my faith. Um, one of the things that I would say that defines me as a human being is my faith as a Christian. Um, to separate me from my faith is like saying that I'm not a citizen of North Carolina or a citizen of the United States is something that truly defines me as an individual. Uh, so it, it was something that I leaned more heavily on my faith in Jesus and that it helped me through that particular process. I remember a point in time when my parents who lovingly said, hey, uh, after after I didn't get in my first year, hey, have you ever thought about another career choice? And I looked at them with sheer determination 
still giving them the respect that they deserved as parents. But I said, there is no plan B. Hmm. And at that point in time, they knew that I was never going to give up on this. Fortunately, after my first year, I did get in. I was in on the waiting list uh, my second year. I was not. I did receive an interview uh, several places my first year. I was on the waiting list at UNC my second year. Um, and actually, I was the last person on the waiting list. And on July the 7th, 1998, I got the phone call that I had been accepted into the UNC School of Dentistry. Uh, that was a profound moment in my life because during that uh, past year, I was working in an orthodontist office. I was I got my x-ray certification. I also volunteered two days a week, uh, roughly nine hours a week at uh, the Gaston County uh, Dental Clinic. Uh, and more or less what I did is I cleaned instruments. I truly did not care what I had to do to get into dentistry because I knew that it was the profession that God had in store for me. Uh, so there was never really a question. I just didn't know as to what path I might be taking to get there. Um, so to make a long story short, uh, I got that phone call July the 7th, immediately scrambled to get some housing. And I started, I believe, all of August the 17th. I believe that's when the first uh, day of class that, uh, was for that particular year. And so, yes, I was the very last person to get into dental school that particular year. But thankfully, I didn't graduate last in my class. I graduated <laughs> quite high in my class. I'm not saying that from the standpoint of any type of of uh, boasting. I'm saying it just from the grace of God that I did. I was determined to do well and to prove that I was meant to be there. Mm -hmm. And that's that's awesome. And I know that that story can speak to a lot of different people as well, because being a, a person myself who also didn't get in my first time, it's very discouraging when you don't get that phone call or get that letter in the mail or get that email now, how it's sent out. And it's easy to kind of question what you want to do afterwards. But to hear a story like you to who dug down deep and and really set out to prove yourself in dentistry. That's a, that's a pretty awesome thing that can be encouraging for sure. And to kind of build off of that, after you went through dental school, I'm sure you faced a lot of challenges as soon as you finished, just trying to get acclimated to the career. What was the biggest piece of advice or biggest thing that changed your entire career as a practitioner of dentistry? Another great question. I think I can answer that twofold. Uh, both both instances occurred while I was in dental school. The first thing that occurred is I met, and I'm going to do a little name dropping um, here uh, for the School <laughs> of Dentistry, Dr. Alan Samuelson, uh, who many of you uh, in Landon's class, if you're listening, will meet very soon. And I, I, I trust that he will have the profound impact on your career, future career, as he had in mine. And Dr. Samuelson encouraged me to seek continued education and quality dental, uh, continued education. And mainly at the time was called the LD Pankey Institute. That is something that I would tout as 
a wonderful path to go down once you graduate from the UNC School of Dentistry. Uh, Also, another one would be the Spirit Education Center out in Scottsdale, Arizona. The Spirit is also known as the Spirit Institute. Fantastic education that will serve you well in your your, uh, path on dentistry. The other profound uh, impact that I had while I was in dental school is in between our third and our fourth year, we had to interview our our dentist, kind of like what Landon is doing right right now with me. But it was an assignment that we had to do, and I went to interview my dentist, Dr. Martin Murphy, and I had to ask him from the business standpoint, because now I recall that that was an assignment for a pra- a, a um, dental practice management elective that I took. And one of the questions that we were supposed to ask our dentist was, what's the biggest bit of advice that you might be able to tell me in regard to how to run my practice one day? He said, that's simple. He said, go to work each and every day, acting as if you work for your staff instead of the other way around. Mm. Remember, all of us are simply team players. I happen to wear the hat where I'm paying our our staff members. But, you know, I love each and every one of them. I respect them. My goal is for each and every one of them to retire with us. And so far, that has been the case. To date, in 20 years of dentistry, I've never had to let go of an employee. Wow. And one of the things that I like to do that has served me well is that if we need to hire someone after someone has left after retiring, I don't hire that staff member. I go to our staff during our staff meeting and I say, okay, who do you know that's a good dental assistant or a dental, good dental hygienist or, or what, whatever role we're trying to fill? And if you guys can come to me with names and let me know if I, if I might be able to reach out to them, I would appreciate that. And then what we do is we have a working interview with that particular individual Sometimes we'll do it with several individuals. And then unless we have a hundred percent decision, uh, unanimous decision on that particular individual, we do not hire them. And it's not up to me. It's up to the staff. And that has never failed us. So that's something that I would say that trust your staff, respect your staff, love your staff, because you know what? At the, at the end of the day, At the end of the week, at the end of the month, and at the end of the year, they are your work family. You see them probably just about as much as you see your own family. And plus, nothing gets done. That's right. If they're not there. And you're you're completely relying on them for the normal operations of the practice and how they interact with patients is really important. How they help, you know, how they help, you know, do sanitation or Mm -hmm. sterilization and stuff like that and how they interact at the front desk. As soon as people walk in, like they're, they're in a nutshell, the face of your practice. Yes. And more patients will have interactions with them than yourself because not many are going to have the need of restorative work. That's exactly right. And remember one other thing, whether it be yourself, your staff member, the practice in and, in and of itself, People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's good. And that also goes for the relationship between the dentist and the staff. Mm -hmm. So one of your hallmarks 
of your practice is your technology. And that's something you pride yourself on to be in a lot of cases ahead of the time. As you just got a new laser, you've had the Serec technology for 15 years or so Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And what are the advantages of the technology and what kind of has given you that drive to want to delve into this new dentistry that we see blowing up around us? Another great question. Some dentists make the mistake of, oh, I need to purchase a particular uh, piece of equipment because I need to satisfy the section 179 of the tax code. I need to buy a certain piece of equipment. So it's going to reduce my taxes for that particular year. That is a horrible, terrible reason to purchase a piece of equipment. You should, you should purchase a piece of equipment first and foremost by asking yourself a few questions. Number one, is it going to benefit your patients? Is it going to improve efficiency? Is it going to drive your, your staff to be motivated to be there, to be proud of the brand, the culture that you have created? And yes, you do need to make sure that if you buy a piece of equipment, is there going to be a return on that investment? Hmm. Are you going to be able to at least break even with that particular piece of equipment? So for in the in the uh, in the instance of Serec technology, Densply Serona, I'm a very big supporter of that particular company. I'm also happy to know that uh, that. The North American headquarters of that company is in Charlotte, and we are just right outside of Charlotte, about 20 minutes. Uh, it is a German company, but uh, they have a big presence in 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 the United States. They're a fantastic company. I've I've been using Serec technology since 2006. Landon, Landon was correct. It was about 15 years, and it truly transformed our practice 15 years ago for patients to know that they can come in and get a quality restoration, a crown or an onlay inlay in one visit. You don't have to send it off to the lab. You don't have to be numb twice. You don't have to worry about having a temporary crown and then taking that temporary crown off and then uh, anesthetizing again and then going ahead and placing a permanent crown. By the way, it might not even fit if it's back from the laboratory and if it wasn't done correctly. Hmm. So having Serec technology truly transformed our practice, and it is much different than it was now in 2022 than it was back in 2006. It truly was the dark ages then. In regard to the laser that we have, and yes, I know I'm doing a little name dropping for different companies, but that's okay. The technology (laughs) that we have is called Solea, S-O-L-E-A. It's a company that, it's a North American company that's actually um, headquartered in, in Massachusetts. And it's a CO2 laser. And it's truly amazing in that it is uh, the most effective hard and soft tissue laser on the market. And oftentimes we can do restorative procedures, not crowns yet, because it's only an incunding device, but we can do res- procedures in our office like class one through class six uh, composites, for instance, uh, where we do not have to anesthetize at all. And there's no true drilling with a handpiece. You are simply ablating the tooth structure. 
and cleaning out the decay and then filling the tooth. It's quite an amazing thing. We can also do soft tissue procedures too. So technology does have a big role in our particular practice, but it's always done in a very careful manner, not to just purchase a a piece of equipment for no other reason. I know one of the most important things that you've taught me personally is about a new patient experience about, and you've sent me many videos about treatment planning and, and the like, how would, could you kind of walk through what you do with a new patient and like, what kind of questions do you ask? How long is your appointment time? Cause I feel like that would give a good picture to our listeners of a, a successful model to make patients feel cared about and know that they're in good hands. A, a normal new patient exam or a new patient encounter sometimes, because it's not just an exam, mm-hmm. it's a new patient experience too, will normally last an hour and a half to two hours. And here's a shocker. A lot of times that does not include a cleaning. Now, for most people that you may have spoken with that are in private practice, that would almost be blasphemy or heresy to think that you would go in for a, a a new patient exam and you, the patient would not be receiving a cleaning because after all, that's what you're there for. That's what dentists do. You go and you get your cleaning done every six months. That's one of the hallmarks of dentistry. Well, so our patients know when they're calling in from our staff, they are told that we may or may not do a cleaning that first year. I mean, that first visit simply do the fact that may not be what they need. What if they have other perio issues? What if they have a tooth that's hurting them worse? What if they have any other myriad of things going on that, again, might be more important than a cleaning? Mm -hmm. So when I go in, it's after usually we have taken a full set of photos. And I would say the photos are more important, believe it or not, than any films that we would take. But as a general rule, we will usually either take a full mouth series or we would take four bite wings and a panoramic film along with photos. So those those include upper and lower lower occlusal photos, a smile photo, lips at rest photo, uh, lips closed to be able to see any tension in the uh, lip area, in the the musculature, or are they having to struggle to, to close? Uh, it'll also include uh, left and right buckle occlusal shots. So, and I may have been even missing a few here, but what that does is that gives us an enormous amount of information that I can then share with the patient right in front of them on the computer screen. Uh, we have two different screens in our office, one behind the patient chair for our, our particular um uh, the work that we need to do in regard to notes and, and whatnot. But also we have a screen that will drop down on an articulating arm that is used for patient entertainment, but also more importantly is used for patient education. So when I'm going in and, and speaking with someone and getting to know them first, and we'll go over the medical history. Oftentimes I'll just stop and I'll say, I mean this in the best of ways, but why are you here? What are your goals? What would you like to see change? What do you like? 
And notice one thing. Those are all open-ended questions. You cannot answer any of those questions with a yes or a no. I know back in my time at UNC Chapel, at UNC School of Dentistry, Dr. Sam Nesbitt was very good at helping us to form those open-ended questions. Because if we ask something that is a simple yes or a no, the patient will be thinking, well, what does this person want to hear? How can I satisfy them with an answer that may lead to a better outcome with my appointment? But that's not what we're supposed to do in dentistry. And it could be the patient feels that you're taking advantage of them and saying, oh, what what kind of money are they trying to take out of my pocket now by asking me these yes and no questions? That's correct. The, the, this provider's not caring about what I want. They're just, you know, trying to meet their bottom line. That's exactly right. So I write down the answers to their questions. And I, of course, at first ask permission to write down the answers to to their questions. And then I may even ask them, well, what's their primary priority? What's their first priority? What's their second priority? What's their third priority? And we'll list them. Notice I'm not talking about any one particular tooth. I'm not bringing up the photos and looking at any decay or at at the films and looking at any decay. I'm not looking at bone levels. I'm not looking at any of those things right now. I'm very simply just talking with the patient. Uh, L.D. Pankey, who formed the Pankey Institute, famously said one time, I've never seen a tooth walk into my office. Hmm. There's always a patient, a person attached to those teeth. So we need to get to know that person first. Then we can worry about what some of their needs are, what we've learned in clinic about what a, what tooth decay looks like. Is this incipient? Is this decay that's getting closer to the nerve or all these other things? We can, of course, get into that. But just listen to the patient first. What, and what it is is something called co-discovery. We are discovering the patient and myself together what their needs may be. And to kind of wrap things up here, what is the best piece of advice that you could give to anyone interested in dentistry, whether that be a pre-dental student, a dental student, or even a practicing dentist right now who is kind of burnout and doesn't know their role? What would be your best piece of advice to give to any of those groups? Number one, have the highest level of ethics and integrity possible. It will serve you well. Patients understand and they recognize any type of discrepancies that you would tell them, for instance, from one appointment to the next. If you say to a patient, oh, you need a crown on this particular tooth, here's the evidence as to why. And then all of a sudden, the next visit, you don't say anything about it. Or if you say that it does not need a crown, they're concerned. There, why? What changed? Why does the tooth no longer need a crown? Now, sometimes it can be the case that something that you saw has changed for the better, but oftentimes that is not the case. So always maintain the highest level of ethics, integrity, and, and shall I say, sincerity. Hmm. Never, ever treat the, 
dollar bill before the patient. I can promise you from 20 years of practice, if you are treating that patient with the ideal care that you can provide based upon your own abilities. And by the way, that ability level will increase as you take more continued education. So never stop learning after you leave the doors, excuse me, leave the halls of UNC Chapel Hill School of Dentistry. But what you need to do is offer them your best. If you offer them your best, they will sense your sincerity. They will sense that you are in, you are working within the best interest for them. And you will flourish. You will not have to worry about the bottom line, about paying the bills and about producing enough. And I dare say you won't have to take a bunch of courses where you're learning about how many new patients am I having coming in a month? How much profit am I making? All of those things will fall into place naturally. And I can promise you that. If one of our listeners wants to reach out to you, what would be the best avenue? Would it be through maybe your office's website and the email provided there? Or what's the best way for them to reach out to you? That's, I'd say it's very simple. Reach out to me via text on my cell phone. I'm, uh, I give my cell phone out to all of my patients as needed. They know they can reach me at any time. But ironically, the more you give out your cell phone number to patients, the less they call you. <laughs> because what happens is they know that they have that lifeline, that safety net to get in touch with you if they need to. And I haven't found it to be the case that they abuse that privilege. And you know what? Along along those lines, I would welcome any student that has any questions for me. Anything they would like to just throw out, whether it be uh, for me to answer it to the group or to just one-on-one, if you have a specific concern that is more private in nature, reach out to me. I will keep it in confidence. Uh, and, and oftentimes, I may not be able to get back to you until after 5 o'clock or Sometimes on a Friday or Friday through Sunday, I'm not opposed to reaching back out to you on the weekends either. Of course, my time with my family, my three kids and my wife is very important to me, but it doesn't take very long to send a text and I'll be happy to do so. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you doing that. And also be on the lookout for Dr. Nixon. He's going to be partnering with UNC Adams School of Dentistry and their virtual shadowing uh, different encounters. And he's going to be featured on there to educate pre-dentals, especially who are shadowing in order to gain uh, more experience before applying into dental school. And he's going to be providing his insights and going to actually be uh, showing footage of him interacting with patients. So please pay attention to that. I'm sure we'll flood Instagram and all different social media sites with information regarding that. And because you can definitely learn a lot from him. And I hope that you gathered a lot from this, too. But Dr. Nixon, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. This was fun. You have been listening to The Smart Dental Student. 
The views, information, and opinions expressed during this recording are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent the organizations that the individuals are affiliated with. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at Smart Dental Student or visit our website for more information at smartdentalstudent.com. 